Hi friends, this is Jake in the future, and due to some misadventures in scheduling, our next episode is not going to actually be the book club episode about Jonathan Hickman and Dustin Weaver's shield, as we say at the end of this episode. Our next book club episode, we're actually going to be reading the first 12 issues of The Amazing Spider-Man by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, um, as well as the first annual. So if you're reading book club books and you're trying to keep up with Make My Multiversity, the next book we will be discussing is The Amazing Spider-Man, issues 1 to 12, uh, and the first annual by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. So if you're reading along, I uh, hope you get this message, and that uh, we'll see you next uh, episode. Looking forward to it. Hello! And welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I am Jake Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner. And this week, we're talking about one of the most important Marvel writers of the last 10 years, Jonathan Hickman, and checking in on our good, good friends, the X-Peeps. Excelsior. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what do we say? We want to start with um, start with X-Men stuff? You want to do your uh, little baseline X? Yeah. So, for those of you who are just joining us for the very first time, welcome. We have a segment that runs basically on every uh, other episode called Baseline X, where we look at all of the X-Men books uh, and rank them from worst to best that have been coming out ever since Jonathan Hickman took over the X-Line back in late 2019 with House of X and Powers of Ten. Yeah, uh, you'll see, yeah. listener, that Elias and I are... Uh, I would say we lead uh, chaotic lives and we crave organization, and that is why we like to uh, order our favorite comics in l- nice, discreet lists where things make sense. And um, and we have and some ones con- that constantly change that we can track them with color-coded spreadsheets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like if you're the kind of comics fan who uh, keeps color-coded spreadsheets, you have come to the right podcast. Um, well, so, do, you, do you want to get started? Do you yeah, want to just do you- dive right in? Yeah, how are we going to do this? We're going to go back and forth from lowest to highest? Yeah, uh, but before we do, I think I sh- we should probably mention, so we, because the schedule has been kind of thrown off by Ten of Swords, normally we get approximately one issue every month. Uh, sometimes it bleeds over a little bit, five, five-week months, sometimes they double up. Uh, like, there was no New Mutants, either arguably in uh, a couple, two times ago or one in this batch, <laughs> technically there's no X Factor because X Factor number five was not part of this month's uh, or the month that we're recording. But for. the the purpose of this exercise is to track the rise and fall of the various X titles in our esteem and to see if stuff that we're really enthusiastic about when it's coming out, when uh, maybe we've left it behind, uh, how it's changed in our estimations. Yeah. So. It's always a fun experiment, and I'm excited to see how much or how little has changed in Jake's. So, starting at number 14, what have you got, Jake? Starting at number 16, Elias, because there are two new books as Jesus. of last month. Um, Shut so up. just to, to remind <laughs> to remind you and our listeners, uh, Juggernaut by uh, Fabian Nicieza is going to be uh, in the running. There's been a new issue of that. And uh, Ten of Swords. Really appreciate that you didn't call it X of Swords, which I am definitely going to do at some point today. I was I was trying very hard not to say it. No, I'm super impressed. It's like a huge problem for me. Um, Hickman, who we'll yeah. be talking about later in the episode. Um, and we are counting... Ten of Swords, we are counting the entire series as a whole, which means that some issues are going to get kind of double counted. And that's cool. Yeah. 
That's how it goes. Yeah. So we, we take what we're given. So are you ready to start at the bottom of your ranking at number sixteen? I am. So why don't we start with you going first, though? It's just we're 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 battling it out over who who gets to talk about their their worst first. <laughs> okay. Well, my uh, number sixteen remains Wolverine. I've still got Fallen Angels there at the bottom. Wolverine cannot claw its way past that quite yet. We've talked about this in the past. Uh, I'd put Wolverine at the bottom just to, as a conversation starter because I think that book is worse than people are letting on. Well, what do you have at number 15? At number 15, I have Fallen Angels. Yeah, and I've got Wolverine at number 15. <laughs> yes, so just a conversation. Clearly, we do not like these books. Um, no, and we've talked about why at yeah. great length in the past. Um, no, at number 14, I have X-Force. We're matching up. At number 13, I have X-Men Fantastic Four. Matching up again. Interesting how this consensus is forming. At number yeah. 12, I have, and this will surprise you, Giant Size X-Men. Ooh, it does surprise me, but I also have Giant Size at number 12. Yeah, you see? I Yeah, it's not a surprise for me. I was much more lukewarm on it than you were. Um, Yeah, I'm, I can talk about that more at the end. At number 11, I have uh, the Empire X-Men miniseries. Huh, I've got Juggernaut. It was also uh, jo- dropped off for my last month. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're going into the top ten. And as I insist every month, if you're in the top ten, I definitely love you. Um, so at number ten, I have New Mutants. I have Empire X-Men at number ten. At number nine, I have Juggernaut. And th- that's where I've got Cable. Well, I, I have Cable at number eight. Ooh. I've got New Mutants, which uh, for some others my, whom remember, that's kind of taken a bit of a fall for me. Um, yeah. But we're not gonna have from to... last month. We're going to have to talk about that. Um, at number seven, at the biggest, this is, I think, the lowest it's ever been positioned on my list. I have X-Men, the main title. Wow. I'm surprised. But I've got Marauders. Um, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I, I wound him. No, everything's fine. I'm fine. Then that's fine. That's a fine choice that you made, and there's nothing wrong with it. At number six, I have Hellions. Okay, at number six, I've got Ten of Swords. Uh, interesting. At number five, I have Ten of Swords. And that's where I've got Helians, Hellions, Hoolians, Hooligans. Uh, hooligans is a good name for that book, actually. That's kind of what it's about. It's about Hooligans. Yeah. Uh, number four, at the lowest it's been since it's been introduced, I have X-Factor. Oh, I mean, that's kind of sad, but it also hasn't had a another issue. <laughs> so I've got Excalibur at number four. Well, that's a big part of um, why it dropped. Uh, the highest it's yeah. ever represented itself on my list, I have Excalibur now at number three. Hmm. And that's where I've got X-Factor. Um, my number two book is the classic, indisputably great House of X, Powers of Ten. And I've still got the main X-Men title at number two, although it's looking a little shaky. Yeah. And um, at number one, I've got my perfect X-Book, Marauders. Which I actually oh. want to talk about a little bit why it maintained number one because there was an, it had an interesting month. It did, yeah. And I've got, as always, House of X, Powers of Ten at number one. Uh, it's going to take a lot to dethrone that one. I loved it so much. Yeah, I guess I put Marauders at number one every month because I think it's worth talking about how good that book is. And some people are like, it's fine. And those people are fine. It's fine. Um, and they, they I, have it at number seven on their lists. Hypothetically, they might rank it at number seven in a ranking of all the uh, <laughs> X titles of the Hickman era of X-Men. Um, 
And I put Wolverine at the bottom because, as I have in previous weeks, I just think it's worth mentioning that that book is a weird disaster. It, like, uh, calls its shot... Um, it, it calls its lack of shot. It's like, uh, we're not going to do anything that uh, creative with Wolverine. And then it's not that interesting. It fails yeah. at doing something uh, generic. And Marauders, month in and month out, is great. But this month, Marauders wasn't written by uh, its regular writer, was it? No, it was written by Vita Ayala. Yeah, and... Um, and Vita crushed it. I thought it was a great issue. It was the first, like, good Storm issue I remember reading in years. Yeah, and I don't think we've gotten a good Storm issue in the in the Hickman era. Granted, it's not that old, uh, but there really hasn't been a good Storm issue. And even, even the one entitled Giant Size X-Men Storm. There's probably been about 200 issues of X-Men. And you'd think in 200 issues of X-Men you can get one good Storm one. It's Storm. She's like one of the main X-Men. I feel like that's ridiculous that it took so long. But I thought that issue of Marauders was fantastic. Um, I thought it was like a real talky issue, which I, doesn't go a particular way for me, but in like a great way. I thought that uh, there was like long conversations that really let you know what people were about. And it like uh, I, would re- I would watch a play of that issue. It was so good. Wow. Huh. Yeah. And I think... I really wonder if Vita writing on Marauders is meant to tie us, tide us over until we get Children of the Atom, which they are writing. And because that, that book from the solicits and the images keeps reminding me of The Vault, where Storm disappeared in, in the main X-Men title many months ago and then came back out in the first issue of Giant Size X-Men with that virus. And I, it, that's where I think... That's why I think Vita was writing a storm issue in Marauders uh, as kind of as a bridge between now and that book. And I suspect Storm is going to play a big part in that book then, which that excites me. I got no special insight, but I hope everything you said is true because that sounds like a killer book. Um, But I just I think Marauders House of X Powers of Ten is like an amazing story. There's not a bad issue of the 12 of them, but I just love Marauders month in and month out. And it's what I want from like my ongoing comics. It's such a great soap opera. Um, It is willing. It doesn't have a monthly format. It's willing to kind of drop its themes and follow a single character for an issue or tell a particular story. It's just like a great exciting vibrant and bold superhero comic and i love it yeah house of x powers of 10 has the benefit of being two miniseries that are one whereas <laughs> marauders has to sustain an ongoing narrative and an ever-changing universe with all these other characters and the potential ability to be disrupted by an event or to have to work into an event or you know etc 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 and sometimes it doesn't work out well, sometimes it works very well, and I know Jake really, you really love this this book, uh, and even though I'm a lot more harsh on it, um, well, it's been I agreed doing with a lot. That's I agree with that part where you successful. said it did stuff well, and I disagree with you less <laughs> when you were talking about stuff it didn't do well. Um, uh, you're also talking I said about some like words, and then there was radio static, and then <laughs> there were more words, and all the things you heard paused. But you're you're talking about how like it gets derailed by events, but that's well, kind of what I'm. And that's what I'm putting it at number one for, is the fact that there is an event happening right now with a new author that could have completely derailed it, but it still feels like a great um, one-shot about one of the stars of the book. It's just like totally exactly what you'd expect to see in a perfect comic, which it is. (laughs) Versus a couple other books that, that may have been helped a little bit, but really didn't. 
Well, so that well, yeah, because my next uh, book that I wanted to mention is I have Excalibur all the way at number three, and um, it's usually hovered. Uh, it's in the top ten, but usually in the bottom half for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I we knew going into Ten of Swords that it was going to be uh, a lot about Excalibur, and that Teeny Howard had a lot to do with planning it. And now that it's here, it's, like, great. And it's totally, um, I think Ten of Swords is elevating every book that it touched. Um, even the Ten of Swords issues of Wolverine are better than non-Ten of Swords issues of Wolverine. And yeah, Excalibur is the book. Uh, I mean, it's really uh, uh, slicing, it's gilding the lily so much that uh, I don't know if I, that's, like, a strong statement. But my, my big point <laughs> being that Excalibur is the book that I think has benefited the most. Um, yes. It's just like so exciting and so central and important to the line, and its weirdness feels so impactful. Yeah, and it finally it had been kind of kind of floundering a little bit after the great reckoning of all of comics closing. Like it, it lost some of its momentum, and now it's it's really gained it back back again. And I'm kind of excited to see what the book looks like coming out of it. Yeah, I wonder if we're gonna continue dealing with. Um, it's not the other known. What's it called? Other world. Other, side? other world. God. Wow. You got yeah. You got others on the mind. I got others on the mind. I think it's because I was trying to think of of there's something on the other side of Araco and it's named Ameth and the Ten of Swords stuff has been bonkers. Would love to play Dungeons and Dragons with everybody who's writing that. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. I would uh, co-DM Hickmantini. Yeah, that's like the perfect game of D&D. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, but we should probably actually address that uh, Ten of Swords and, for me, Ten of Swords and Marauders both fell. Uh, Marauders only really fell because um, Hellions and Excalibur both rose very high. Uh, and so Marauders kind of kind of took a bit of a dip due to due to that. But... Yeah, Ten of Swords kind of fell. From yeah, tell, well, why? I, Ten of Swords, uh, it rose for me. Ten of Swords has exceeded my high expectations for it. I think part of it is because I haven't been as thrilled with Sword Hunt. Each individual Sword Hunt has been kind of fun, but it dragged a little in the middle. And I put a lot of this down to the, to the two-parter Wolverine X-Force it did nothing for me and it kind of because we're taking this as a cumulative of all 22 issues mm -hmm. it really brought it down if you were just doing the one shots it probably would have muscled x factor out because while i liked x factor number 4 and what it did for the you know the whole event uh it was such a departure from <laughs> x factor number 3 that i'm like but i want more x factor number 3 style antics yeah but give me more <laughs> Uh, and that's totally a fair way to um, rate it. My thing yeah. is that I love the central issues of Ten of Swords so much, and then all the issues, the, the books that I thought are good are continuing to be good, and all the books that I thought were bad aren't good, but are I putting out some of their best issues so far? Mm -hmm. I don't know. X X Force has had I think X Force has had stronger issues. Uh, there's a couple issues of X Force that I liked more than this, but like it's everything's doing is rocking. Um, the only possible exception to that is uh, X-Men, which what X-Men is going to be the hardest book to assess in all this because every issue is kind of a self-contained story about a different character. Yeah. Somewhere in all of this. And the Ten of Swords uh, apocalypse stuff doesn't really feel uh, 
particularly distinct to me. It's, it's just like a lot of exposition for the more exciting parts of the story. Yeah, I enjoy that kind of stuff. I, I like kind of delving into the, the single characters. And X-Men has been basically a series of one-shots with a couple two-parters this entire time. So it's living up to what I expect from X-Men and giving me something new while also tying into the event. It was definitely the, here's your exposition dump. Uh, and here's Apocalypse building his weird uh, sword from coffins. Did like that. Did like his sarcophagus sword. Uh, what? There, there's a name of, for that sword. Not the sword name, but the type of sword. Um, not to be that nerd on the podcast, but I, I, I think it's a kopesh. A kopesh? Okay. If Egyptian had the ch sound. I think it's it's Kopesh. Uh, unless unless it's just it does, and all of the the Brits who were transliterating were like, ah, it's got the. K. <laughs> I uh, I'm only knowing as somebody who like reads a lot of uh, Dungeon Masters guides full of equipment that players can purchase <laughs> is why I know a lot of weapon types. Are we sure that this didn't come out of a D and D session? I keep insisting that it did, and I think it came out of a Planescape game that Teeny was playing. That's gonna be I'm gonna take that conspiracy to my grave. You think it was it was part of that first X retreat they were doing this and went, what if we just made this the event? And Hickman threw down his, his script and went, yes. I've outlined this in my Mutantversity column, but I have a whole specific theory where if you know Planescape in the Dungeons & Dragons, uh, there's like a city called Sigil, and that matches on to Otherworld, and there's a, a character named the Lady of Pain, and she's uh, got a similar story function than uh, Opal Luna Saturnine does in this. I like, I like uh, lay it all out. I have a whole conspiracy. Huh. I guess we'll have to read that one day. One day. Yeah. If you, want, if you love X-Men, and you love D&D, and you love speculating about what's going on behind the scenes in your comics, I have that content you crave. I think the other reason Ten of Swords dropped for me was... It's so dense with the... I now have to keep track of 24 characters and 24 swords. Or is it 22? Are there 11 swords or 12 on each end? Um. Well, there's 10 swords. And then there's the organization oh, sword. F- fuck. The event is called Ten of Swords. Yeah. Jesus Christ. It's Yeah, it's tw- ten, 10 versus it's ten, 10. ten. It's 20, 20 swords. Right, it is okay. 20 swords. 20 swords and 20 characters, 10 of which are brand new. Um, four, I mean, it's the four horsemen of Apocalypse, but... Yeah, well, you know, it is dense, and we'll talk about this more in our next segment, um, but unlike other dense Hickman events, I feel like magical swords and, like, the weird demons that wield them is inherently... Again, because that, that's, like, what Dungeon Master guides are filled with. I can get yeah. into big pages of exposition about, like, okay, this is how much this sword weighs, and this is its who forged it. And I can, like, uh, rock with that, whereas when uh, you're reading something like Infinity, and then he's introducing this new alien planet just to blow it up, I'm just like, I could take or leave any of this. I will never remember it. Who yeah. are the builders? And also, we're, we're right at the beginning of all of these characters coming to blows and being introduced and we already had did the the hard, not the hard work but the the work to introduce the good guys or the protagonists i don't know how many are good good considering we got a book called hellions where um, everyone's the worst which i put hellions at number six and that's the same as i put it on last month but i just uh hellions kind of had a departure from its first couple issues too and i love it it's just this book about everyone dunking on mr sinister as he tries to be oh, a cool guy great 
and he's a nerd. He's not a cool guy. And that's the conflict of the book, and I think that's genius. <laughs> Elians continues to surprise. Uh, yeah. I expected nothing from this book, and it has given me everything. What the weirdest part is, um, I like obscure X Men stuff. I don't. I, that's who the, the person I am on this podcast. And mm-hmm. when and when you showed me that lineup of characters, I was like, Nanny Orphan Maker, uh, John Gray Crow, and Empath. Like, if you say so, because every so often Marvel will put out a book and it's just like a random team and they don't have any commitment to it, and the book has like uh, just like flops apart. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought we were going to get with Hellions. But I love all these characters now, and I did not ex- have that sort of expectations. I didn't think they would turn me into a John Gray Crow and Nanny fan. I'm, like, into yeah. Nanny now. Nanny and Orphan Maker are cool. They are. Empath is still the worst. Yeah, but that's great that that's his, uh, his function in the book is to be yeah. the villain who's worse than all the other villains. By a long shot. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Oh my god. But that, uh, yeah, that book was utter ridiculousness in Ten of Swords, and I loved it. I still can't get over the way... I don't, I don't mean to keep dragging us back to the event that's, you know, going on in these books, but the cohesion between the, each book, that, because they can stand on their own, and they don't have to stand on their own. It took me, like, four or five issues to realize that... I don't know if each writer was writing the data pages or if Hickman and T- and Howard wrote them all out beforehand, but each issue gives you a different data page on a different world in Otherworld to kind of get you used to, you know, all these different political factions and all the, that dense Hickman stuff that you really don't need, but it being there allows you to get deeper if you want. Well, and how many Marvel fans love uh, or miss the handbooks and stuff like that? This is just like a better souped-up handbook, and it's right in the pages of the comic. And then uh, you can look forward to getting it in trade and like flipping to that page when you want the data about the uh, blade of Iska the Unbeaten or whatever. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I was, I was like in the middle of of Tennis Sword's uh, stasis. I was like, oh. Who are these people again? Like, go back to a previous issue and flip through. I'm like, there we go. The who who were devoured? By the time this episode is released, uh, Mutantversity will have uh, released not only a guide to help you keep track of those sword bearers of Araco, but will also have the definitive and uh, rated ranking. Hell, by the time this this episode releases, Ten of Swords will be over. <laughs> That's probably true. But you read it. You were excited about it, and you're excited that we're excited about it. This is true. Do you, Elias, do you want to take a quick commercial break and then we'll come back and talk about one of the architects of Ten of Swords? Let's do it. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And welcome back to Make My Multiversity. Uh, today, Elias and I are going to be talking about a Marvel writer that we 
felt like we were already spending a lot of time talking about, so we thought we would take a more holistic view. And that writer is Jonathan Hickman. Basically, we wanted an excuse to talk more about Hickman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like... um, it was getting to the point where we would like need to do something for context at some point because we talk about we talk about his current work on X Men so much. True, and it was for those who don't remember, it was a huge deal that Hickman was coming back to Marvel, uh, and we'll kind of get into that. But that was the that announcement was so cryptic, but all people needed to know were three words, and that was, Hickman is coming, and everyone's like, holy shit, what's going to happen? Yeah, do you remember those ads for it? Where they were just uh, white <laughs> backgrounds with, like, silver letters that were hard to read, so you'd have to squint, and you'd be like, word? Hickman's coming? That was my, yeah. my reaction, at least. Um, yeah, cause he had, and he had left with such a mic drop that it was a surprise that he would ever come back. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So uh, we are talking about... Uh, Jonathan Hickman, who among modern comic writers is kind of like weirdly inaccessible. You know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah, kind of. Uh, but you should elaborate first. Just like um, because I think I know what you mean. A lot of yeah, comic writers are always on Twitter and social media. You can find. Oh, them at, you meant you meant him, not his work. Well, I think that's connected, but um. True. You, uh, if you bump into most of the creators at cons, especially uh, younger contemporary creators working today, uh, they're always there promoting their work, and they got a good hustle, and they're uh, either super friendly or super weird, but you get to know them. But like, I've seen Hickman at a con, and he does not there to he's not there to mingle and make friends. And uh, his public persona can only be described as uh, misanthropic, surly, surly. Whenever they trot him out to do uh, the promo for his own material, he you feel like he's gonna murder the editor once the the screen goes off or whatever. Once the cameras aren't rolling, you can you can see the PR people in the wings waiting on the kill Mike button. Yeah, and no other Marvel writer who's working today has that sort of reputation. That's the kind of reputation. or that sort of power. Yeah, I mean, when Bendis was writing for Marvel, Brian Michael Bendis, you would um, I I think of him as that guy, a guy who has a lot of clout like that. But he was never throwing his weight around. He was always uh a real uh, lovely, friendly presence. And I th- and Hickman is reminds me of, like, Frank Miller or Alan Moore. Hickman's like another generation. Hmm. Maybe. I would say he's in good company, but uh, Frankie, uh, not so much. But, uh, Frank Miller and Alan Moore, uh, the two things they have in common is they've both written comics that I think are good, and I would not want to hang out with either of them. I don't know. I think if... If you weren't fan approaching Alan Moore and you actually knew him, knew him, I feel like you'd be able to have some really interesting and deep conversations. I feel yeah. like the misanthropic dark magic living in a cave in the woods thing is uh, scares me. And Hickman... That's why I said if you were already his friend. <laughs> right. And, and Hickman doesn't live in – I think he lives in, like, uh, North Carolina or something. He doesn't live in a cave in the woods. But, like, you think of him living in a cave in the woods. I think he's, like, got a normal family who I don't know anything about that's normal and cool. Um, I can see him owning like a cabin in the middle of Maine, like Stephen King. Yeah, living there. Yeah, you get that kind of vibe from his work. But what's so funny is like I read a lot of interviews with him when they come up because I want more insight into his comics, which I think are good. And every so often, when you hear a little personal detail, it feels like uh like somebody made a mistake, like someone's gonna come looking for it, you know? (laughs) Like he's so cryptic and he's so unapproachable, and that's like his prerogative. Mm 
but it makes him a, it makes him unique in the comics world. It, it, he's got like a little bit of a rock star mystique that I think a lot of other um, writers are lacking. For better or worse, because a really accessible creator can be very helpful. It could be a great presence, like J. Michael Straczynski when he was doing one of the great successes of like Babylon Five was he was active on servers that were talking about and he was available to answer questions and he was always willing to engage with the people who liked his work but on the other side if you don't want to give a lot of personal details out especially now in in 2020 that can be very difficult and people who successfully done that uh good on them yeah um so let's look at let's look at hickman's work specifically um Mm. So I, I went and I looked into some of what of his earliest Marvel contributions were. And again, somewhat, this is always kind of an interesting question because, like, uh, I'm trying to think of Marvel writers who I'm most familiar with. But a lot of them have um, uh, done a bunch of indie comics and then they're announced on a book uh, that um, – and it's like a big announcement, right? It's like, oh, the person who did these exciting comics is now going to be writing Iron Man. And you're like, okay, cool. Or yeah. – a, a new Marvel writer will uh, come in, and I feel like the common way to do it is they do a mini series tie into an event. I'm trying to think of some examples because there, well, there was uh, Christopher Cantwell more recently, and Matthew Rosenberg both came in like right. that. Two people I was, yeah, two examples I would have mentioned uh, <laughs> like that. Um, and I, um, hmm, and then like a Rainbow Rowell comes in, and she's coming in from novels, right? It's like a. Yeah, you're either already established or you come in with another book. Uh, so- Saladin Ahmed, he came in on on a miniseries. Like he was he was greenlit for six issues. He had a plan for two arcs, and he did it. He executed right, but he... it, and now he's on other books. Right, but he's like a, before that he was like a best selling novelist and a poet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But he, I'm he saying like... like when they brought him in, they didn't bring him in like uh, Rainbow Rowell onto Runaways, which was a very well established property. Black Bolt. Uh, the Inhumans had kind of been floundering. Yeah, they gave him like a weird book to do. But I bring all this up though because uh, so when when Hickman is coming to Marvel in like two thousand eight two thousand nine, his first book is called Legion of Monsters Satana. Is the first issue he does. And, I've never heard of this one. And it's got a Greg Land cover. So huh. yeah, it's real uh, the that vibe. And um, Hickman doesn't even do the main story. He does the backup story, which is a living mummy tale. Huh. Was the main one by Dennis Hopeless or Dennis Hopeless Hallam? Uh, no, this was even before that. This was by oh, – wow. the main story was by Robin Firth. Okay. Yeah, you see, like real inauspicious beginnings. And I wish that I could find uh, more easily information about, like, the application process because, um, like, who is Hickman – I, I know he uh, uh, did the Nightly News, and he had done some indie comics, but, like, this is clearly still a guy who uh, hasn't established himself at all. Mm-hmm. Now, stay with me, because we're going to suddenly, okay. like, we're going to, like, cross this border, and suddenly it's going to be like, uh, I, I'm, we're talking about how uh, he doesn't have to do press in the same way as other writers, and he gets to be cranky, and he gets to call his own shots. He's not that guy yet, so when does he become that guy? Um so the next thing he does is he contributes to the uh, Astonishing Tales anthology, um, and he does a, um, a story, a mojo story with um, Sunspot and Cannonball, who are two favorites of his, and who he always comes back to in his Marvel work. Um, 
And I'm trying to think of what you, I, in X Men, obviously, and his Avengers. You read his Avengers, right? Yes, I, I still know so little about those two. Were they part of the New Warriors? Oof, you're killing me. They're, they were on one New Warriors. Wait a minute. Robert DaCosta? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Okay, now I know who they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, think, I was thinking uh, Speedball. I guess that's an easy mistake to make, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but here's the nuts thing. is So the first thing, his first major comics contribution is the first time I remember seeing his name on something. And this is right when I'm getting back into comics, and that is Secret Warriors number one, published in April of 2009. Um, I am just getting back into monthly comics around the time of Secret Invasion, Dark Reign, and that's when and I was reading Bendis's New Avengers, and he did a story about the characters, the Secret Warriors, which are like Quake, Druid, Yo-Yo, um, Stonewall. These are the Secret Warriors. The people who went on to star in Agents of Shield. A couple of them did, um, and um, those were um, only the most well-known. Only the most well-known of Secret Warriors, like Yo-Yo, and Quake, right? And Quake. Um, <laughs> you don't seem to have much fondness for Quake. No, I like Quake. Actually, I really like Quake. Quake was great in these books. Um, but so what? I remember I read the it. There was a a story about the Secret Warriors and Bendis' New Avengers, and I was like, rad. And then it was announced that the Secret Warriors were getting a spinoff comic, and I was like, okay, I'll give that a shot. And that spinoff comic was, um, the writer on it was Brian Michael Bendis, and then it said, also writer on it, Jonathan Hickman. And I had never seen this before in uh, modern comics, since I had just gotten back into it. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, what does that even mean? Is is Bendis, like, the boss writer, and Hickman is, like, the assistant writer? Like, what's the writing dynamic? How are they sharing the load here? And it's never clear. Um, never. Yeah, well, sometimes you get the vibe that uh, two people are collaborators, or sometimes there was that recent issue, um, Empire Hulkling. Mm-hmm. And um, the credited writer was Chip Zdarsky and then Anthony Oliveira. And that was the first uh, published comic by Anthony Oliveira. And you get the feeling from hearing them, two of them talk about it that Chip was there in like a mentorship capacity to help out and uh, to help brainstorm ideas. But that was really Anthony's comic. Mm -hmm. So is that what's going on with Hickman here, do you think? It's like Bendis, they're just like, oh, we need Bendis to mentor Hickman. You're going to have to answer that question because I've never read it. Well, I've got no idea, but so after the first arc, Bendis's name drops off the comic, and it's just Hickman's comic, and nothing about it changes. At no point does this seem like a Bendis book. I wonder if it—well, I was going to say maybe it's like uh, Avengers World, which we might get to later, but it's possible Bendis plotted out the first arc, and Hickman wrote it, and then he took over. Like, Bendis was there just to help— that first arc sell and to kind of be the bridge between it being a spinoff. Yeah, that is logical and makes sense to me. It's just so wild this to is me. Marvel. Right. Well, and it's so wild to me that just like uh, that there's a world in which Brian Michael Bendis needs to mentor Jonathan Hickman because Hickman immediately with uh, uh, Secret Warriors and everything he does, he just arrives fully formed with Secret Warriors. He's like messing around with one shots and you get the feeling that Marvel's like, we're not, we'll take a chance on this Hickman guy. We're going to give him to Bendis, our steadiest hand and our best-selling writer. And now Bendis, like, uh, I don't want to insult Bendis. I'm very fond of him. But, like, Bendis seems, like, small time compared to Hickman. Hickman's huge. Yeah. It it helps that Bendis is also, he's a workhorse. He puts out two, three issues a month. He, he's got his hands in so many things. Hickman, it, that Hickman doesn't. So it's a, I think it's a different kind of importance. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just so what's so crazy to me is that Secret Warriors is just is good. It's like it, it's as <laughs> um, I can't believe this book is good. They his books get better, I think, as time goes on. But all of his all of the key things to like what if I was like, what makes a Hickman book a Hickman book? And you started listing them. They're all in Secret Warriors. So you've never read Secret Warriors. What makes a Hickman no. book a Hickman book? Uh, usually some sort of conspiracy. Uh, the villain has to be uh, has to have a motif of black and white, uh, potentially with eyes with no irises. Uh, dense sci-fi, sometimes getting into the the really strange data pages or something to that effect. So already, in and also Warriors, chapter breaks that just come out of nowhere. Uh, so Secret Warriors is already it's about um, Nick Fury after. It's after high. Uh, it's during Dark Reign, so Norman Osborn takes over what was called Shield. He makes it into Hammer, and now Nick Fury is the agent of nothing. He's like a renegade agent, which was his vibe for most of the Marvel movies after Avengers. Mm-hmm. That's taken right from Secret Warriors, hmm. and um, and he does a lot of things, including there is a team called the Secret Warriors, and he recruits them. But it's also just about other things that individuals do that Nick Fury does that the bad guys get uh, their own issues. Um, but the ba- uh, but Nick Fury finds out that the reason Shield fell so easily was that um, it was actually part of Hydra all along. Like Hydra had infiltrated Shield from the beginning. That idea from the famous movie Captain America: The Winter Soldier, wow, is a Hickman idea from Secret Warriors. Wow, and that's like one of the best twists in in superhero movies, right? Yeah, Hickman's idea, or maybe Bendis's idea. Maybe Bendis plotted that. Uh, that's feasible too. It does feel like it could have also been a Bendis twist. He likes it. He likes his big sprawling retcons as well. Yeah, where where something was always something else. But yeah. so Hickman has to puzzle that out, and then you got um the villain colors or Hydra colors. So you got a lot of green and yellow, but you have a lot of villains with messed up eye stuff, including um, uh, Gorgon, yeah. who's now a character in X Men, is a major, probably the major antagonist for most of Secret Warriors. Hmm. Um. Some of those magical swords from Ten of Swords start off in Secret Warriors, so that's a fun reason to go back there. But the most striking thing is right from the beginning, data pages. And not only data pages, the data pages at the end of the first issue call the shot of the entire series. It's a very twisty series, and all of those twists are laid out for you in the data page. And I think this is another key element to Hickman is he loves showing you something, but you don't know what you're looking at, so you just kind of assume that uh, it's confusing and you'll never understand it. But then later he gives you the crucial missing piece, and then you realize how hard he had called a shot. Wow. Yeah, he does do that. Um, Sometimes it's really infuriating. (laughs) Yeah, and Secret Warriors is kind of the crudest time he's doing that. So, like, it's a big map of the world, and it's got all of Nick Fury's secret bases, and it's got all of the secret Hydra bases. And each one of those different bases ends up being where a different arc takes place. Oh. He's got a list of all the supporting characters before you meet them and some redacted details about them. But he like gives you enough clues that you can um, put together most of the story before the series unfolds. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. How long did it run? How long did Secret Warriors run? I think like almost 50 issues. It ran for a while. Seriously? So it was contemporary with his Avengers run? No, it would have... It ran for only 28 issues. I'm sorry. 28 okay. still 28's not a small number, though. Especially not in today's market. It ran from 2009 to 2011. So I just, like, really recommend it. Um, it's a little bit more... 
It's like it's Nick Fury spy stuff, which isn't everybody's superhero cup of tea, but it's like really wild, and it's Hickman's first chance at doing a conspiracy like that. So that's in April of 2009. Mm-hmm. By November in 2009, he does a Fantastic Four miniseries called Dark Reign Fantastic Four, and now he's doing Fantastic Four suddenly. Just give him one of the flagship books. He'll be fine. Yeah, he went from uh, being like, I don't know, we're going to give him secret warriors, and Bendis is going to be watching him. And now it's just like, uh, I don't know, we'll give him a Fantastic Four miniseries. Okay, we'll give him Fantastic Four. And he writes what I don't think is controversial to say is the best Fantastic Four run of the last 20 years, of the last 30 years, ever. Potentially. I don't know. I, I think you've, you'll have some, some Matt Fraction fans fight you for that. Nah, no, uh, Matt Fraction wrote uh, two Fantastic Four books. One of them was really quirky and cool. One of them was uh, pretty mediocre. This is another run that I have yet to read. Oh, well, the, the Fantastic Four run, the Fantastic, I guess the Fantastic Four run is where he starts to get his big audacious ideas. Isn't the central thesis he need, uh, that Reed Richards needs to solve everything? Yeah, Reed Richards decides he's going to solve everything, and then the first conflict is he he runs into an interdimensional council of Reed Richards, the Council of Reeds, and um, all of them are working to do that, to solve every problem in the multiverse. And they want him to join them, but it turns out that the uh, price of admission is you have to leave behind your family and never speak to them again. That sounds like a very Reed Richards well, so then the, the 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 central conflict of Hickman's whole run is what makes Reed Richards of Marvel 616 unique is that uh, ultimately he'll never leave his family. And that makes him unique in the multiverse. Uh, and that's like a cool uh, story for Reed Richards, a character who I feel like nowadays works almost better as a villain. Well, that's why Hickman also has his favorite villain, the Maker. Um, well, and his other favorite villain, Doctor Doom, who... Um, the he continues to write for a long time, but starts in his Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Um, another interesting uh, Hickmanism that happens in the middle there is they um, there's a countdown to something bad's going to happen in the book. And then in the, uh, I forget what issue number, but he kills off Johnny Storm. He kills the Human Torch. And after that, the book oh, goes wow. from being called Fantastic Four into FF. And Johnny Storm is replaced by Spider-Man on the team. So it's uh, Mr. Fantastic, Invisible Woman, The Thing, and Spider-Man is the Fantastic Four. Well, because as we saw in, when we were reading Spooderman, Johnny Storm and, and Spider-Man have a long and storied relationship of hating each other and then being the best of friends. Yeah, and so a lot of the story is uh, Peter is mourning and he's trying to find the best way to honor Johnny's legacy. Um, another really great part of it is Franklin Richards, the son of Mr. Fantastic and Invisible Woman, is mourning the death of his uncle, and Peter knows something about mourning uncles. Um, so there's like a, It's a central driving motivation. Yeah, but that ends up being like a big part of the book is, is how Peter helps Franklin through his grief at Johnny's death. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, Johnny comes back, not even that long. As you do. I, Johnny comes back in like within 10 months. It was like less than a year. But then the book split into Fantastic Four and FF, which is now stands for Future Foundation. Fantastic Four is about the Spider-Man leaves the team, and Johnny goes back to being on the team, and it's about the four of them. And FF ends up being about, um, throughout all their stories, they are, are meeting, like, bright kids around the multiverse, and all the different, like, uh, they meet a girl in Wakanda, and they meet a bunch of Moloids who are super smart, and a bunch of uh, Atlanteans. Mm-hmm. Um, so they create a school for all of the smartest kids in the multiverse to go to, and that's what FF is about. Oh, God, not another school. Yeah, like a competing school. 
Um, oh God, the, Mar- the Marvel Universe is just all schools for, for gifted youngsters. I would love to see their field day. That sounds like a great issue that somebody should write. <laughs> um, but Intramural I, sports. I, I don't just bring this up because of my love for Marvel Academia, but because this is the origin of Hickman's uh, idea of two series that are one. You could read FF or Fantastic Four at that time, but you're really supposed to read them alternatingly. And they focus on different things, but stories in one are constantly spilling out into the other. Which is both, I love it, and it infuriates me because they're never collected that way late. Um, I have it collected that way. I bought the, uh, it's a, there's a two giant hardcover omnibus. It's one of my nicest omnibuses. Om, omnibeam? Omniboat? Omnibuy. Um, one of my nicest omnibuy is my two-volume Hickman Fantastic Four hardcovers. Um, and that alternates exactly in the re- his intended reading order. I bet those are super expensive and super out of print. Definitely out of print. Um, I think they were like 80, 90 bucks a pop, each oh. of them. How many issues per? Over a thousand pages each. Over a thousand pages each sounds a little. Oh unlikely. wow! I could hear the strain. <laughs> All right, this is issue. Um, you ready? You have your calculator open. Sure. Six to twenty-three. Uh huh. Plus um six hundred to six eleven. So that's, uh, and then a one shot. Right. How many issues is that? Um, that's about thirty to thirty-one. Yeah, so it's a about sixty it's a issues run. over two volumes. Over two like hard hardcover books, I mean to say, yeah. But yeah, uh, just like seminal run of the Fantastic Four, one of the best introduces a lot of his ongoing ideas and his um his like little formatting predilections. And it's probably I think when we look back at his career, I think there's a good shot that Fantastic Four is going to be looked at most fondly because it's like the least sprawling. It doesn't affect too many other series. Um, so it's like him just telling a really audacious story across two interlocked series, which is like, uh, subdued for him. It gets, it gets way out of control next. Um, yeah. Cause next, yeah. Next comes our favorite book. And by favorite, I mean, this is our next book club book shield, which has a story that we'll get into during the book club. Uh, so we might, we might glaze over this series, but basically all of our favorite Hickmanisms are here. We've got conspiracies. We've got things you thought you knew weren't what you knew. You've got crazy sci-fi weirdness. And also Leonardo da Vinci in a stupid hat. Uh, really stupid hats in this one. Uh, I, I guess another thing, just um, when I was reading comics in this era... I wasn't paying a lot of active attention to who was creating them. It, it took me a little while to learn that habit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember I knew Bendis because uh, he was huge. And then I remember seeing Hickman immediately on that Secret Warriors issue. So when I heard that Jonathan Hickman was bringing us this like secret history of the Marvel Universe book, I was all that was probably the first time that I was excited for something because of who was creating it. Um, when I heard the announcement of this S.H.I.E.L.D. book, inexplicably called S.H.I.E.L.D. book. I read this many, many years later, so I did not read this contemporaneous. Um, but when you read this, was this your first experience with Hickman? No, it was not. Okay, so uh, wh- this how make... did you find it? How did you come to this? So I, I came to it because Marvel was hyping up the return. <laughs> and... uh, the return for X-Men? No, the return of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, the return, like, because it, um, it took him like 10 years to finish it. Yeah, pretty much. So uh, that's when I ended up reading it a little bit little bit after it finished, because uh, I could, because it was free on Comixology Unlimited. 
Now, my first encounter with Hickman is in a later book. Uh, But before we get to that one, we should talk about maybe his weirdest set of books. Are you talking about his ultimate books? that's saying something. Hmm? You talking about his ultimate books? Yeah. I don't think those are even that weird in the uh, Hickman, uh, like the Hickman run of things. I mean, what he's basically doing is he's come, he's being brought in to to save the Ultimates universe and then ultimately usher in its downfall. Yeah. Well, uh, so the first Ultimate book Hickman does is Ultimate Thor, and if you read that one, that doesn't have a lot to do with what he does next. But it's like him trying to come up with an interesting solution to a bunch of dumb continuity. That had happened at that point. It's not a great series. It's very um, what's the word I'm looking for? He was working with what he ga- was given, and what he was given was just a pile of manure. But it, but it's like very like a cleanup series. It's like uh, we have a continuity problem. Let's hire this creative guy to like come up with a solution to it. But like it's not really a story. Mm-hmm. And it probably and it didn't, from what it sounds like, didn't work out so well. No, I guess what's he tried. Inter- and I guess what's interesting about it is um. It's bold because the idea is that in the Ultimate Universe, Thor is created through technology, not actually divinity. Um, and it's playing with that idea. And they, his hammer is this crazy gadget. And it's like really playing with that idea. And it's a huge departure. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, I think that's the, the- thematic through line of Hickman's work here is that um, he, his Ultimate's work is all about um, these like huge departures. And what I mean by that is he blows up the ultimate universe repeatedly he just like he tells the kind of stories you couldn't tell in the regular marvel universe because like because marvel likes their main properties to you know continue to exist yeah but like so have you ever read any of his ultimates did you read his the ultimates the main part of that run no i think of all of this that's what we'd be most likely to read for a book club book Mm-hmm. But in his the ultimates he has the maker shown up and the maker had been like uh, foreshadowed a long time ago in a previous Ultimate book, but he, he has Reed Richards' return, and he introduces a bunch of, like, the city and all of the, the weird stuff that the Maker does. But he, the first thing that the Maker does is he blows up Washington, D.C. and kills everybody there, ushering in an apocalyptic wow. collapse of America, and this ends up leading to a story that he called Ultimate Civil War, but his Ultimate Civil War is about a real war between the American states having to do with, like, a terrorist attack and then, like, the, like superpower issues. Wow. Okay. And at one point, Miles Morales fights Cassie Lang. It's like a nutty series. Is is this Cassie Lang not such a great Cassie Lang? Yeah, she's not. Such, she's a bad guy, Cassie Lang. Well, I mean, her father in the Ultimate Universe, I think, is also pretty, pretty terrible. You Scott Lang? You're not a fan of Scott Lang? Oh no, sorry. Uh, I thought Hank. I just remembered Ant Man being pretty gross. <laughs> yeah, there's too many Ant Mans. Um. I even I'll even stand up for Hank every once in a while. It's uh it's the last Ant Man you can't uh, you gotta watch out for. It's Eric. Who the hell is Eric? Am I getting uh the the irredeemable Ant Man? I don't know who this is. You don't know about uh Eric O'Grady, the irredeemable Ant Man, no. created by Robert Kirkman. No. Yeah, he's the third Ant Man. He's shown up in Spider Man before. You've seen him. He goes by Black Ant sometimes. Oh. Eric O'Grady, Ant Man. He's crazy. Uh, but he wasn't in. Hickman books that I can remember. Anyway, my point about the Ultimates is just that um, the the thesis of it is that uh, Hickman was interested in telling stories about like what would the collapse of America look like if superheroes were fighting in a war, and that's like a huge story that you can't really tell in Marvel because the sci-fi ideas can't like blow up America because they want America to be there for the status quo. 
Yeah. And that's why his, like, Ultimates books are interesting, and he's playing with that in the Thor book and a little bit in his Hawkeye book, but it's in his, it's in his run on the Ultimates that he, like, really lets those ideas happen. Well, um, that brings us to um, February of 2013 when his Avengers run starts. Now, I assume you have read his Avengers, right? Alas, unless I'm crazy. <laughs> I have. Which, uh, was that the first one that you were reading when it was coming out, Alas? Yes. Uh, um, no. So I, I joined... I started reading I started reading the Avengers. I want to say I think it was like the last two issues of Time Runs Out is when I when I did a whole read through of the entire his entire Avengers New Avengers. I got a, a bundle of all of the issues. And That's crazy. I read them all leading up to Secret Wars. Time Runs Out is uh, the epilogue of the whole thing, right? Yep. So yep. you started the, at the, the end. very end. Well, I mean, I didn't start at the end. I started at the beginning. But that was when I was reading it. It was when the last couple issues had just come out. Gotcha. So I think the funny thing about uh, tracking the arc of Hickman's status is that when he was doing Fantastic Four, they kind of like – they were still trying him out, right? They're like, you got to do a miniseries first. When he's Mm -hmm. doing Ultimates, he did a bunch of miniseries, and then they were like, yes, you have our permission to blow up the Marvel Universe. We weren't using that one anyway. And then Avengers, they announced they're like, Hickman is here doing big books and it was like a big announcement avengers was the first hickman series that they announced as like being a really big deal right out the gate they're like you've been waiting for this your whole life hickman on avengers and i was like you're right i have and here he is doing two books that are one well not really kind of totally new avengers and avengers are totally two series that are one yeah but they definitely are telling two very different stories up until like the up until time runs out and going back and forth is mostly necessary but the stories are kind of parallel to each other they don't Uh, interact as much i invite you to return to those series my dude because i have those in a giant hardcover uh double set as well where it alternates the issues with uh, hickman's intended reading order again I think I read it in his intended... I looked up a reading order when I was doing it. So I'd I read an issue, and then I'd flip back, and then I'd read another one, and I'd flip back. Because I was reading them all digitally <laughs> on my phone. <laughs> so for for anyone out there, I was working as a camp counselor uh, when I did this, and I just started purchasing my own comics, so I was reading them all digitally. I didn't have a tablet, didn't have a computer. I had my first smartphone. And so I was reading... All of Avengers and New Avengers, alongside, like, Batman Eternal, on my cell phone in guided view. So, panel by panel, it's going one after the other, switching back between the, the two series as, a, as the reading order directed me. And if you go back and check it out again, though, I think you'll notice, like, did you notice how at the beginning of Avengers, Captain America wakes up in bed and then Iron Man rushes in? But at the end of issue three or four of New Avengers... Iron Man um, brainwashes Captain America and then places him in that situation and, and fake runs in. And so if you read the first three issues of New Avengers, then read the first issue of Avengers, it goes together seamlessly. There's all these little things like that where uh, the characters who will appear in both books are always doing something to help you mark the time so you know which events are affecting what behind the scenes. But gotcha. the, fact that, the fact that you can read them so separately is the success of those uh, two series that are one format. Yeah. Because if it wasn't, you would just it'd be a complete mess. Kind of, unfortunately, like Infinity. You can't read the main Infinity series on its own. 
Yeah, well, and then there's the problem in the in the Infinity storyline where the same scenes were drawn by two different artists, and some of them were good yeah. and some of them were bad. <laughs> yeah, which is unfortunate. But where his uh, Fantastic Four book was really audacious, because he was like, Fantastic Four, they are Imaginots, and they strike into the... They're exploring the outer fringes of reality. The Avengers, he was just like, is big. <laughs> and that was his idea. Is like the biggest conflicts and like the the most mind-boggling stuff. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I really liked his Avengers New Avengers stuff. There oh, was I love it. So weird. Uh, and this is actually where that Avengers World book happens. So after the first arc of Avengers, it's, is it Mars? Yeah, uh, they go to Mars in the first arc. Yeah, I, and so I they, think they... Ex Nihilo. Yeah, which... So I read Infinity... Actually, my first encounter with Hickman was reading Infinity without having read the rest of Avengers and New Avengers because I was reading through a whole bunch of Marvel events just in order as they came out. Uh, check them out from the library. So Infinity was next. I read Infinity and then Inhumanity, and I was so totally lost. Well, yeah, I think we talked about in a recent episode uh, how Inhumanity got completely derailed. Yeah. and uh, Infinity is a tough one, too. Yeah. We talked about that when we talked about best events of the decade. Right, uh, right, right. With, with Kevin. Yeah. The, the, Infinity is dense and hard to read. I think it's ultimately kind of worthwhile, but it, it feels much better in the context of that Avengers New Avengers run. It doesn't work on its own. It needs, well, the huge giant trade that includes like four issues of Avengers and New Avengers beforehand and like three after, it works. But when it's just like the direct infinity issues, it's there are too many details that kind of get lost because you need all that setup to really understand kind of the story beneath the story, which is the more interesting bits. Yeah, I think, so, though, um, ultimately, that Avengers book at the time, I, I thought it was but I this is going to be a theme at the time. I thought it was my favorite Hickman comic. It um I loved the bigness of it, and I loved how um, in they were like fighting bombs that hyper-accelerated evolution to create monsters that threatened the world, and alternate realities were encroaching, um, speeding up the end of existence, and the Doctor Doom stuff and the Black Panther stuff were two characters that I love the way Hickman writes those guys, and Namor, right? Like, I, yeah, I, I can just like all, rant and rave. And it all played at different levels, like, Avengers was a big, big book. It had a cast of over 100 characters that would cycle in. You'd open up an issue, and, and you would have the headshots at the beginning, and there'd just be 30 names and 30 faces. And then you had New Avengers, which was six, five, sometimes two. So you had the really small story that was tackling really big stuff, and you had this really big story that was sprawling with all these different people but it could also be just this little, little tiny story about uh hyperion or uh one of the other characters whose names i don't remember because smasher again, smasher because i was reading this on my tiny phone screen and so i couldn't <laughs> see any of the faces <laughs> do you have any um affinity or affection for characters from that run in particular i remember I hated black swan you hated Black Swan. I always thought Black Swan was cool. I love, I love the concept, but like every time Black Swan was there, I'm like, ah, oh, great, more cryptic bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> which, which that was kind of the point. There's a bunch of characters that uh, Hickman just writes so well. Yeah, I like the Call Obsidian. 
I liked uh, or or I liked the Black Order, the ones that survived Infinity and became semi-recurring characters. I loved all of the the machinations there. That's another um, Hickmanism is he loves introducing like a new bad guy squad squad and they've, yeah. they've, they've been completely like they have a whole history and you've never heard of them before and they all have cool designs and it's like all right here's like 10 new villains all at once and then he kills and five of them. And they become instant classics. And then they become the uh, villains in the highest grossing movie of all time. Yeah but they were kind of wasted in there but they were there. Uh, Hickman got paid. I'm sure he was yeah. laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully Hickman got paid. His name was in the credits. I don't know how those I don't know how those rights work. That's fair. Yeah, he doesn't have those rights, but his name was in the credits. I think he got paid as a consultant or something. Gotcha. Hickman, if you didn't get paid, I'm sorry for uh for speaking speaking lies. We couldn't know. But one thing that uh we do know a lot about is the culmination of all of this Avenger stuff is Secret Wars. Um Yes. Elias, do you have it in you to like really briefly explain the setup of Secret Wars cuz it is complex. Yeah. So it kind of starts in this Fantastic Four run, from what I understand, but it really takes form at the beginning of New Avengers with the summation of everything dies. Something happened somewhere, and the entire Marvel multiverse is colliding one universe into the other in these things called incursions. And the New Avengers are trying to stop it by whatever means necessary, and that's kind of the central conflict of that book. By the time we get to uh, Secret Wars, the final arc uh, before that is there are two universes left. It's the Ultimates universe and the Marvel 616 main universe. And they're colliding into each other. And then the first issue of Secret Wars has both universes dying and being rebuilt into Battle World with Doctor Doom as the god, you know, big god man. And the rest well, of Secret I Wars mean, is... I think you're being a, like a little uh, flippant. Doctor Doom is god of this world. Doctor Doom... Yeah, no, God. he's literally he's literally God. He steals the powers from this extra dimensional uh entities. I don't remember what they were called. And the Beyonders. Stephen Strange is there and he's like, Doom, you have to take the power. I can't do it. I can't be trusted with this power, which is wild. And so Stephen Strange remembers everything before him, but everyone on Battleworld forgets that Battleworld didn't exist like two months ago. And well, it's and- just always has been. It's basically the Catholic Church in the third century. <laughs> but what I love about Battleworld is that um, the, there's like a metafictional conceit because it's like uh, the universe, the multiverse ends, Doctor Doom becomes God, and then because he's such a big fan of Marvel comics, he like half remembers a bunch of yeah. his favorite Marvel books, and then each of those half remembered versions of classic Marvel stories are like islands and continents and countries and shit. And it makes up a whole world. And then there's a geography so that like um, the demons from Dr. Doom's uh, messed up version of Inferno can then go to war with like a bunch of um, film noir versions of the guardians of the galaxy and a captain America who is a barbarian on an island of only hoax. And he's like, bonkers. Yeah, and just every Marvel writer for one beautiful summer got to write the fan fiction that their heart desired. Yeah, Jonathan Hickman successfully got Marvel to stop every single book. Yeah. And just published these weird miniseries and then was late on the delivery at the end of his series. But, like, that's a problem for then, not a problem for now. Now the whole event reads great. Well, and but it's so crazy, right? They were try- they tried him out with Bendis. They tried him out with miniseries, and now he's like, "I demand you cancel every single Marvel book." Ms. Marvel is doing really good at the Scholastic Book Fair. It don't matter. We're gonna break the numbering in the middle because it pleases me. 
Some series had only eight issues. Well, now they get to be 1A and 1B. Yeah, within a year, this stuff is getting 1A and 1B. And just like Hickman did that with just making a demand and someone being like, yeah, otherwise the story doesn't read, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah, it's... I mean, they could they could have continued publishing and just had the books kind of be the last days, quote unquote, and just had it be awkwardly concurrent. But no, he was like, no, the Marvel Universe is over. It's done. This new book is here. Nothing else exists. We've blown it up. So my here's my theory on Secret Wars is in a lot of ways, ongoing superhero comic universes are a lot like wrestling shows. Um, okay. You're building towards the next pay-per-view, um, and there's the— so you, and you have a bunch of shows where you build a story, but you don't want it to – you want – if you're doing it right, if you're pacing it right, the culmination of these big storylines are going to happen at um, at these big event stories, right? So you have um, mm-hmm. a bunch of small threads. They build up, and then you have a major event, and it spills out. And then you build up a bunch more threads, spills out in the next event. And then every so often you want to melt everybody's faces with, the, with WrestleMania, with the event to end all the events with, like, the big culmination of everything that uh, the, you've been working for for a long time. And mm-hmm. nothing in the history of comics has ever been more successful at that than Secret Wars. Secret Wars is, like, such a—Avengers Endgame is another example of this. But, like, where Avengers Endgame was, like, a real fun movie, it's a real romp, uh, Secret Wars feels like the culmination of every Marvel comic thing. It's so cool. And it delivered, which is yeah. most important. It delivered on its own premise. Yeah, well, I, I like spending time in Battle World. Like, Battle World itself is really fun. I like the weird Game of Thrones hierarchy where, like, um, yeah. Doctor Strange is, like, this, like, vizier figure, but he's um, trying to do good. And where Doom is this really conflicted guy where um, he's ultimately, like, really petty and evil, but he wants to convince himself that he's, like, a worthy monarch. Um, so he, like, kind of tries to do good, but it's complicated. And he kind of screws it up sometimes. And then... He has Mr. Sinister's head. <laughs> and there's the Thor core, which is uh, how uh, the, all the, the police in this universe are just all Thors, because only Thor can police the chaos that is the Marvel multiverse. It's, again, utter bonkers fun. I love the way he writes and Thanos. And Hickman was able to do it. Yeah, Thanos is really great in this, where Thanos is like this like nihilistic uh, force of destruction, and then Black Panther proves himself to kind of be the most worthy hero in the Marvel Universe by having like being the most indomitable man, yeah, being the smartest and the most strong-willed. Miles Morales gets to have a big role as like this like plucky young hero who is in way way over his head. Yeah, um, it's it's a, it's just a great event. Do you have any uh, favorite uh, weird tie-in miniseries? I feel like we've gone over this before. Um, that's probably true. Well, I'll have I, to... I mean, obviously Thor's. I really liked Thor's. I uh, obviously really like Kieran Gillen's Siege. Weird World. Weird World was I think fun. Weird World might be one of my one of my favorites of them all. There was one I called... didn't read all of them. To be fair, I read I, I have gone on the project less or... than less than a quarter. Of them. I recommend going on the project and reading all of them. Even the ones that aren't good <laughs> just tell you a lot about the person who wrote them. They're also personal. Yeah. Again, I, I, Mike Del Mundo art, Weird World, won me over. There's a Runaways one where the Runaways are at this, like, evil boarding school where Valyria is Doom's, like, snitch. Right, and that one was written by Noel Stevenson. Yeah, by Noel Stevenson, and it's adorable. Uh, there's a great one called Marvel Zombies that's all about um, Elsa Bloodstone as, like, the last survivor in this uh, ravaged continent. Even really the cool. Civil War tie-in was pretty good. 
It was interesting. I don't know if I'd go so far to call it good. Well, it took a pretty stupid concept and made it half decent. So I would call that a win. I liked um, the Spider-Man one that became Spider-Man Renew Your Vows. That was really good. Oh, yeah, that did spin off into that. Sure did. Uh, I liked Ghost Racers, where all the Ghost Riders from every Ghost Rider comic ever are just, like, in a death race. (laughs) Right. Just, like, Secret Wars is, if you like superhero comics enough that you're listening to a podcast about them, Secret Wars is the most superhero comic. Yeah. You can't really go wrong with any of those tie-ins. Even the worst of them. And then Sorry, Hickman kind cat. of <laughs> my cat's my cat's here. All right, I'm focused. No, it's worthy. Uh, your cat is worthy. Yeah, my cat's Thor now. Um, I meant more like Black Panther. Uh, but anyway, um, after Secret Wars, Hickman just kind of like mic dropped at the end of the universe and walks off. Did you think he was ever going to come back to Marvel? No, honestly, no. I thought he was done. He's like, I said what I had to said. I did my six seven years of stories and i thought he was done i i I think there was even talks of him being taking over legion legion of superheroes over at the direct competition i remember that and that uh, clearly never amounted to anything uh (laughs) bendis is doing that now but so many marvel uh writers in that era left like got really burnt out doing these big events and then yeah, they Marvel lo- Marvel's like, oh, we're gonna do a new event every single year, sometimes even two, and that's that was a bad move, Marvel. Yeah, and um, though you would hear of writers leaving like uh, on bad terms after those big events, mm-hmm. and with Hickman going back to the beginning, he's so elusive that you're kind of like, I guess he seemed pretty cranky about all the work he had to do for Secret Wars. I guess he's probably done. I guess he's one of those writers who left on bad terms. But apparently not. <laughs> yeah, but or, no, he's, he's just always or, like that. Yeah. I was going to say, or he did leave on bad terms, but not like bad, bad terms. And because there was an editor-in-chief change in between, that might have smoothed over some some changes or whatnot. Um, Who but, knows? Yeah, but then we got those silver and white teasers, and then we got them back on X-Men, and the rest, as you know, is most of this podcast. He's basically writing Legion of Superheroes, but... For Marvel. Yeah, I guess Legion of Superheroes is kind of the ultimate Hickman property. Yeah. A million characters, all of which who have crazy weird backstories, sci-fi settings. You could do whatever you want and make things uh, as conspiratorial, and you always thought you knew, but you didn't. I mean, that's what he did with House of X and Powers of Ten, And with uh, Avengers and with Fantastic Four. And with Ultimates. And with Secret Warriors. That brings us to the modern day. Hickman at Marvel from Legion of Monsters Santana. Santana. Satana. Black Magic Woman. Backup story. All the way up to writing the flagship X-Men title and basically shepherding an entire line. And, like, uh, I think, you know, it's early to say, but calling, making my prediction here, um, I think really fundamentally uh, changing the landscape of how these books are published. Yeah. Because whenever you hear someone talking about how they're making the X-Men books now, um, they're all – a lot of stuff moved remote uh, by necessity, but they were already working remotely with each other very closely because they had a writer's room. They were using uh, Slack, and they were all communicating all the time, brainstorming ideas, challenging each other to develop their ideas further. And I just think that uh, this X-Men thing has been so successful that this approach 
not to say that Hickman invented this approach, but necessitated it maybe just because of his ideas. It's possible. Um, Especially get... if, if you're having one book that kind of lets everything else radiate out and then those books can re-influence the main book and it's it's all super interconnected because it has to be. Because if you make any big, big changes in one book, it has to be reflected in the other ones. Otherwise, it completely breaks. Yeah, but you also – you can – I – you can feel the good vibes of this uh, this writing process of everybody. Yeah. Um, whenever they collaborate, the issues are so exciting. And every so often you see ideas from each other's books where they're just fans of each other and they want to uh, pay tribute to the, each other's good work. And I feel like those good vibes and that close writing environment and using the internet that way to brainstorm is going to be the, the rule of thumb in like five years in superhero comics. It's very possible. He put in a lot of changes that I liked. I liked bringing in an actual designer to design books. Yeah. Uh, Tom Muller, because like those end pages where it's saying, here's all the books. Here's when they're coming out. Here are the important books. Highlight them in red and the teasers and a special, you know, the in Krakoan. It's all, it makes it all feel cohesive and Marvel's always done this. Marvel has always had other books in the line at the end of their issues kind of, you know, teasing out or just the next two issues of the same series. But this is the first time that I think it's really felt like I could plan out which books I might want or I can see what's coming and the pages actually feel good instead of it just being like, oh, yeah, I guess Royals number 15 is coming out. Whatever which is not a knock on Royals, but like that's when I remember the Inhumans books all trying to do it, but the back pages just felt super blah. Well, and it didn't feel as coherent. You didn't understand what distinguished the books and what you had in store. And here yeah. you understand, um, which like makes sense as a consumer marketing perspective, but then it also like makes the story really structured. And as we went over at the beginning of this, in this chaotic world, Elias and I grab a little structure. Mm-hmm. And lists. We love lists. Lists are one of my favorite structures. I also like the arch. The arch. It's a good structure. Um, so looking God back, damn it. looking back at the career of Hickman, Elias, do you see any like themes or big ideas that this madman is working out? He's working out a lot of technology, the coming tech, whether or not it's good, whether or not it's bad. What's our relationship with technology? You can see that a lot more more in House of X Powers of Ten and his X-Men stuff with the idea of the not the singularity, but the those big AI constructs and Some of them are singularities. But it it feels like that's a central conflict that he's always been kind of concerned with. It's like what does technology mean for us? What's our or technology even just being fire like making a fire pit that is technology uh just when we say tech computing technology yeah and I, yeah i right before uh his x-men i read actually the comic he was working on which was um the black monday murders i'm guessing you didn't read that it's not very uh it's not light it's not easy no, read. it also is very very erratic yeah in it, publication um intentionally so that's part of the the crazy artistry at work there but uh, the Black Monday murders are about um, economics as, like, a force for satanic ritual. Sounds about right. Yeah. But 
it's it's about like uh, how the systems in our world that like we use to get through the day are like really fucked up and they really fuck us up. Um, and he's looking around and he's just like uh, he he's and it's like a, a really prevalent feeling of like the world is not okay and um, what like let's look at what it's doing to people like what it's doing to souls and how mm. uh, forces like. Uh, economics or like uh, religion or thinking about your mortality or the media or whatever he's like looking at like the human toll that these like big systemic things have mm-hmm. and, and then his marvel books are always he's looking at the systems within a superhero comic so like what kind of person would become a spy in this universe of superpowers or like what would happen if you couldn't die anymore because you have to keep on living because the comics need to keep selling just like so what would you how would your personality change knowing you were immortal and what sorts of right, like all of his sci-fi yeah. conceits come from this like understanding of the systems that are dictating the lives of these people, and then he's like really interested in the human cost of them. And that's and why I've why never... would you prevent your people from getting access to cure for diseases or even just general pain? Yeah, and this like... is this is why I've never understood though why um because those questions are being asked, but like they're answered, and he shows what different characters are going through yeah and, and like and he shows say... what different different countries are, are even up how they're approaching like he, he's talking about well this is these are the kind of mindsets that this this and he assigns a country a mindset in in the the x-men books but on the whole he, he's just he's more talking about the ideologies that drive the actions rather than reflections on the cultures no no i'm pushing back on that i I was about to say i think that's how a lot of people interpret his work but i think he's actually really interested in like the micro human cost of uh these systems and he's interested in like uh that issue of x-men where um you have to die to get resurrected with your powers Mm -hmm. uh the crucible he was really interested in um the sort of uh ritual that the what ritual would these people who had had these experiences, who had experienced a genocide and the Dark Phoenix coming, just like, how did those, uh, what sorts of choices do you make after all the choices that led you to that moment is like what he's interested in. He's not, it's not just about like the uh, sociological implication of resurrection. It's like, how do those numbers change how we feel and the choices that we make? And he always comes back to that micro. And I think a lot of people accuse him of not getting characters or not get, uh, not writing characters, of only writing these like ideas and concepts. But it always comes back to um, how is our Reed Richards different than every other Reed Richards? What would it be like if you could, uh, could never die and you could live and you finally achieve utopia? What would that look like? And who wouldn't want that? And why wouldn't they want it? Which is very important. His Avengers is all about the cost of like um, what pieces of our soul do we have to give away to save the world from unimaginably large problems, and like who will we have to become, and when is it too much? Yeah, uh, just all of his comments come back to these like fundamental questions of like how enormous things change people, and I think uh, readers often see that he's talking about enormous things and figure that the people get lost in that. And I, the brilliance, the the central message of Hickman's work, I think is um, that he, he doesn't lose the people in the center of all that. He may not, but the systems do. Right, and it's about, it's about being lost. And he, yeah. and he, anyway, I like Hickman. I think he's good. <laughs> if you couldn't tell by now, we like Hickman. Um, I think he's a good writer. I understand that he's not everybody's uh, cup of tea because he's like a very dense sci-fi guy, which is sometimes uh, people like lighter, more adventure stories or more uh, warmer stories. His stories can often feel cold. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's one criticism that's very valid. <laughs> yes. Yeah. His stories can feel very cold. That also goes to, to the way he writes characters. He can be very warm and very funny, but he definitely tends to put a cooler voice in, in people's mouths. They're very, they can be very aloof. Yeah. Um, but even like look at like Sunspot as a character, he clearly is very loving towards. Um, he he held uh, his his hand back uh, before he played it with Sunspot in his Avengers run when Sunspot becomes a really prominent character. He was just kind of like a comic relief. He seems kind of superficial, but it turns out he was like plotting big things, and he ends up being the biggest mover and shaker of the whole story. Get, even gets his own spinoff. Yeah, multiple spinoffs at this point. We love Sunspot on this podcast. Jake Jake actually knows where Sunspot is, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> he's chilling in new mutants i would recommend if you're uh, a hickman curious person start with his fantastic four uh that one is about the smallest cast of characters and is the most focused um his avengers is one of his bigger books and obviously his x-men we're going to continue to talk about yeah don't worry you haven't heard the last of hickman here well especially because our next book club book um is going to be shield by jonathan hickman and dustin weaver that's a it's now 13 issues total over uh, two series of six issues each and one one shot, um, we're gonna put up the reading order with uh, when this podcast posts, um, and you should follow along with us. We're excited to talk about it. Should be exciting. Before we go though today, Elias, uh, we should address uh, our ongoing struggle for the uh, Marvel Heavyweight Championship belt. Uh, this is uh, which Marvel book is your favorite Marvel book? Every month until something defeats it and becomes your new favorite Marvel book. So, yeah. so last month, uh, my favorite Marvel book uh, has is my uh, inaugural and reigning champ is Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky. What was your it, book last month? Has it finally been dethroned? Well, what was your no. book? What was your book last month? Uh, last month, I think it was Immortal Hulk. Yeah, no, 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 it was Immortal Hulk: The Threshing Place. That's right. Well, this month, Daredevil had an all-out drag-out fight with uh, Immortal Hulk. The most recent issue of Immortal Hulk was great. I'm just, like, so jazzed about that series. It's been going on so long. It hasn't missed a step. But no, Daredevil is still my favorite series. Oh, how sad. How about you? I was you? hoping something would dethrone it. I, you know, I, I, every month I, I hope, but anxiously, but Daredevil's good, man. Yeah, I, I finally caught back up on Daredevil, and I know why. But I gotta be the opposite side, and I'm coming from the horror, and this last issue of Immortal Hulk just absolutely blew me away. Oh, it was really good. It was so good. I I, I couldn't. I had I had to pick that one. The leader is never a villain I've been that into. I, you know, he's okay. Uh, I'm so into him in this. He's so scary. Yeah, he's very terrifying. That's a, yeah, that's not a surprise. Any other uh, big contenders for you? Um... Not at the moment. I've been so I. I was gonna say maybe Runaways, but I haven't read it since since it disappeared. Um, I'm looking forward to finally reading that again, though. Finally coming back. Finally coming back. But I don't really have any other books that that have captured that. X Factor could be the 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 next one when we get another issue. But that's gonna be for a, not until not for a while. Not until after Ten of Swords is over. I'd put up for another strong contender. If you haven't read it, uh, there is a Shang-Chi series coming out right now. Oh, I haven't started that one yet. By uh, Gene Luen Yang. And, I'm um, excited. Yeah, just— uh, I loved his new Superman and all his indie work, obviously, but— 
it's in the superhero world it's joyful and it does that fun thing where it covers a lot of different superhero genres all at once in fun creative combinations uh star recommend for me yeah that's where we're at this month so next month we'll check in again see if daredevil and hulk are still going strong i imagine they will but maybe something will surprise us uh in the meanwhile elias Mm -hmm. if folks felt so uh inclined to find you on this greater internet where might they do such a thing they would find me on twitter at quetzal ish q u e t z e l i s h i don't have any quips today because i'm falling asleep <laughs> it's been a long one folks it's been um, a long one you can find me on the internet too i'm on twitter i am at rambling underscore moose and uh you can see uh, me there. You can also find both of us on multiversitycomics.com. It's a pretty cool website. It is. It's got webcomic coverage. It's got more X-Men coverage. It's got a lot of coverage. Yeah. And uh, if you want to read along with our book club book of the month, we'll see you next time for S.H.I.E.L.D. by Jonathan Hickman and Dustin Weaver. Let's see you there. Excelsior. Excelsior.